I need to shave. He says to the guy whose beard is actually known to be longer than his own. <laughs> right, go haggard for a bit. It gets to the point where it's starting to feel scratchy on me. Asks enough anymore. Yeah, you gotta get through that. Player 2 Pixelcast episode 82. I am your host, Tim Henderson, back again in the host chair as I tend to be every other episode. And I'm actually somewhat excited today. We have we have fresh blood. We have fresh blood. Nick, after checking how to actually say your surname correctly, I'm not even going to use it. I'm just going to say, Nick, welcome. Uh, thanks for having me. And along with the fresh blood, we have the only blood that is as old as my own. Ken, we're not stale yet, though, are we? No, no. Like, what, how many years is this now? Ten years? I was think it's more... I was, like, comfortably, like, in my 20s with, like, a lot of space to spare the very first time we did this for Pixel Hunt. <laughs> and now I'm, like, downhill 30s. It's been more than a decade, I think. Yep. Yep, yep. Yeah. A couple of oldies. Um... <laughs> And a new guy Nick. to uh, freshen things up. Yeah, Nick and the old boys. That's our new name for the show. <laughs> All right. Um, I guess actually, I guess a topic by it, accident. That's an excellent indie band name. <laughs> Nick Haven, the bad seeds, and Nick and the old boys. Kind of. Yeah, it works. Yeah. But yeah, I guess there is a sense of oldness going in with the way I hadn't planned it like this. But yeah, our topic is we're basically going to be talking about the platforms and games at history. Quasi forgot, you know the. The one that's going to come for me a lot is, you know, the Nintendo won a lot of history and a lot of players that even if they did quite well, kind of, you know, just fell to the side and, you know, Master System Classics may have been forgotten where, you know, NES ones weren't. But before that, of course, come actual games. And, you know, what? let's keep this kind of happy and retro and just throw poor young Nick under a bus. You have been playing Spelunky 2, which is a game I have never played and probably should have. I remember enjoying the first one quite a bit. Uh, yeah, I've been playing a lot of... Spelunky 2 and uh, like Spelunky 1 I actually just kind of rage uninstalled the game and I tried to get away from it but it's just I don't know I just keep going back to it and not finishing it and (laughs) keep going back to it oh wow it's actually more recent than I realized it's recent um, recently added to Game Pass I believe it was on Steam and PlayStation 4 for quite a while, and then on Xbox it was recently released. Yeah, January, I believe. Hmm. Yeah, so that ended up being installed on multiple machines in my house, <laughs> which it's, it shouldn't. I think it says a lot about the way time has just not been real since the pandemic started, where it's like, I feel like this game has been out for half a decade, and it, oh, it came out late 2020. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's lots of games that kind of feel like that. Um, and in a way, it's good at kind of it takes the pressure off a lot of people for having to move on to, to games. And I, I believe that um, developers are enjoying that because it feels like people are more responsive to updates for games. A lot of people are going back and revisiting games. So, mm. um, yeah, it's, it's not necessarily a bad thing that we all think games are fresher than what they are. No, not at all. Like, I mean, I, yeah, no, the first one did come out actually back I'm talking about when this show pretty much started. It was like 2008 or something. It's like a very early example of the Xbox indie type. 
stuff and like it's a quite well named I mean sp- you literally are spelunking it's a roguelike where you're spelunking roguelike yeah, platformer. yeah it's cool so is, is there I'm... any how is spelunky 2 set apart from the first one I guess um well it's definitely it's gotten a obviously a visual upgrade when you look at it it's um it looks really good but also it's, it's smarter use of contrast and lighting and things like that so I guess for, for lack of a better term you're able to read the game a lot easier, if that makes sense. Like, there's less of... You don't have to squint and kind of digest what's happening. You can just react Oh, uh, there, there the is Oh, there is a point where, yeah, um, visual design definitely actually comes into gameplay in a big way. Do we just lose Tim? We almost lost oh. him. I'm still here. Um, I lost you. Yeah, I, we must have had a bit of friction. But um, we were saying, yeah, the... The game's easier to read, like the contrast is smarter. Before, if you look at Spelunky 1 in comparison, because I did, I went, oh, I'm going to go play number one again. And it's lots of browns and it's a bit messy compared to Spelunky 2. Ah, 2008, the year of brown. Yes. Like a splash a couple of years either side of that. That was just the era of brown. Yeah, it was... Because did Gears of War get a lot of that brown hate? Because I know that Resident Evil 5 and Far Cry 2 got a lot of brown hate. Um, five definitely deservedly. Far Cry Brown has kind of. I think it was Brown slash Gray. I think Gears of War got the Gray hate. Um, but there's yeah. a very distinct lack of color in those early HD console games. Like just a just kind of depressing. Like everything had to be dark and gritty and muddy. Yeah, and a lot of ugly. Well, not ugly, but like a lot of interestingly designed game characters too. Like look how porous we could make their skin. <laughs> look at the scars on them. <laughs> we got like Kane and Lynch and <laughs> characters that were like not your traditional very wax dummy. Protagonists. Mm. Um but yeah Spelunky 2 play it's it's so similar to Spelunky 1 where I mean it's the perfect jumping point. You don't need to play Spelunky 1, you can play Spelunky 2. Um, and there's lots of little tweaks to the gameplay here and there that you really do have to play them back to back to notice them. But I still are they that noticeable back to back? Have you played them back to back? Yeah, I've, I've recently played Spelunky One, and it's tiny, tiny little things like you don't bounce as high when you jump on something, and that actually the jumps have been made a tiny bit easier, so the gaps aren't as big and. Um, that means that they're able to zoom the screen in more and your character is larger on screen and, and things like that. And it it makes for a, a fairer kind of more balanced game, um, but it's still plenty challenging. But yeah, it's, there's probably, probably plenty more that Spelunky fans could probably, like the hardcore fans could probably tell you, and there's probably comparison videos up. But there's definitely, when I went back and played one, I was like, oh, this feels... Again, like, without fully being able to put my finger on it, it just feels fairer and whatnot, as opposed to Spelunky 1, where you could do a blind leap of faith because you can't see what's on... You know you have to make this gap, but you can't see it, whereas that doesn't happen in Spelunky 2. There's probably a lot of just undetectable improvements that have kind of just made it a more pleasant experience overall. Yeah, and I feel that... After the success of the first game, there's probably a lot more people on the team, or at least everyone's gotten better at what they're they're doing. Because I always thought Spelunky One was a very small team, um, and originally that like it was Derek, a browser game. Derek, yeah, I mean, originally it wasn't like, like just a pixelated <laughs> mess that was just a downloadable. Yeah, yeah, you could download it or, or you know play it on Newgrounds or wherever it was hosted. You're in the um, but yeah, I. Up. 
I, I do wish I could quit the game to be perfectly honest, but it, um, yeah, going back to what we were saying before, um, we hit record being a recent new father, um, Xbox quick resume and Spelunky two are these perfect partners for me to sit down. And if I have a baby, that's just finally having a, a kip and going to sleep on my shoulder, I can pick up the controller and have one or two goes at Spelunky and go, ah, oh, that was good enough. And then pop her down in a crib or if she wakes up again, she wakes up again type of thing. I guess that is kind of a lifestyle blessing. Like imagine if, imagine it, if you were like a new father, I guess Ken may actually be able to relate to this, like during the PlayStation 3 era, and like it takes like half a minute to pause the freaking game. Yeah. Or even my PlayStation 3, I don't know about everyone else's experience, always updated. So if I had like my baby, I'm like, okay, shush, shush, shush. Then turn on the PlayStation and it's crawling along with some update, that wouldn't be beneficial either. No, you, you learned your way around uh, like this. Sorry, Ken. Yeah. I was going to say, like, chances are you'd be loading screen, loading screen, loading screen, and then you don't actually, you don't actually get to play anything because you're just <laughs> spending so much time just waiting for something to load. Yeah, no, what, uh, I, what I got into have it with my PS3, and actually this PC now that it's like 10 years old and does have an SSD, is like, if I know I'm going to want to play games after I've made dinner, I will turn it on while I'm making dinner. <laughs> I just get, make yeah. sure all of that shit is out of the way. It's not- that's, um, that's like the Commodore 64 days where... I'm like, oh, I want to play Batman on my Commodore 64. I will type run.exe or whatever and then go take the dog for a walk and come back and the game would just be finishing loading because it was that bad. Oh, damn. I feel like we're sneaking, in, sneaking into the topic a little bit. Um, although while we're, we're stuck way back in the 80s, Ken, you yes. are, you are playing so, Myth Force and it looks He-Man as fuck. It is pretty He-Man. Um, <clears throat> He-Man, Visionaries, uh, Silverhawks. Yes. All the good 80s era cartoons. Um, I've been playing, I'm not sure if I said, uh, a game called Myth Force. I picked it up recently, uh, just because it looks right up my alley. Um, it's an early access right now. It's a, uh, rogue light, um, PVE one to four player, um, co-op games so imagine things like back for blood or um left for dead where it's all those warhammer ones oh vermintide yeah that type of that type of game where it's you're wading through hordes and hordes of um enemies but here it's it's got a very very strong like i said 80s cartoon aesthetic has got a very they strong nailed it like cell cell shading has come some ways like it just fucking looks like any of these shows it looks good and it looks it looks good um but because it's an early access um it's you know not surprising that i've got a few gripes with the game already um like i said early access one the soundtrack is non-existent in game which is um, a heinous crime for a game that looks like this. Like oh, you, you should have that. this hummable theme song melody. Yeah, it needs to start out. And I mean, it re- needs to really lean into that cartoon aesthetic even more by having an opening theme song when you start an adventure, and having I don't know some some music kick in the way that say Left 4 Dead or Back 4 Blood does. You know, when when there is a climactic 
encounter like the music needs to kick in Same, like aesthetically you, there is a musical mm. aesthetic you associate almost as strongly if not as strongly as the visuals of these this Correct. era of cartoons absolutely and you need like an outro and and some type of like psa announcement at the end where where the uh, characters tell you something about be stay in school kids <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> that would be amazing. Can you imagine that if that if was like said, marijuana oh, may quit. be legal in your state now? Yeah. Yeah, but can well, you imagine that if, like, when you said "saving quit," the main character of the game said, "We had a lot of fun tonight," but there's nothing fun about blah 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 and talked yeah, about a topic, right? Like, it, <laughs> it needs to lean into that aesthetic even more because right now it's got the visual parts down, but it doesn't have the it doesn't have the audio parts yet, and it doesn't have quite have the emotional linkages there. Um, so. There's a bit of work there. Um, it's got a very strong D&D aesthetic. So you've got, um, you know, skeletons and giant ma- mushrooms that's holding a magic spell book and lobbing gas bombs at you. So it's good. And lizard people who look straight out of, like, pirates of dark water. Um, it's that sort of stuff, you know. Um, the game is very difficult right now. The difficulty is dialed up to crazy levels. So, um, a couple mm-hmm. nights ago, I played along with uh, a couple of friends of the show, um, Terry, Terrence Jared, and Nathan Cox, um, both mm-hmm. on Twitters. Um, the three of us went through, and it just kicked our asses all over the place. I mean, admittedly, it's kind of rogue light in the way that Rogue Legacy wants to be, or Dead Cells wants to be, where you start out really underpowered, and as you play it over and over and over again, you get, you get XP to, keep, to yeah. keep you keep you keep some skills, you keep some equipment, not equipment, but you keep some artifacts, you know, some some bits of gear, and you're supposed to go back to it feeling more powerful, but. Um, we spent about maybe two hours playing it. We just got our asses kicked all over the place. And it's at this stage, there's, there's, there's quite a lot of like minor niggling, annoying things, which again, again I think you don't want to, um, it being in early access. So like, for example, um, you're walking around the stage and it's procedurally generated as well, so you go into one sort of kill box, and then you fit, you kill all the enemies there, and then you move on to another little little bit of the stage where it's another kill box. You mm. know, like enemies pouring out from every every direction. There's this um, environmental hazards, like um, statues that spit out fire and bombs that's just littered all over the all over the arena, and enemies are coming at you. Um, you every so often notice like a targeting reticle on you because huh. the enemy magic magic player has is aiming at you right and you're running around and the reticle just tracks you constantly without losing tracking i don't like this this is reminding me of what and i I'm really like, did not like about resistance <laughs> 2 it's like there's no ai they're just impossible crack shots yeah just that's right and i'm on my end, I'm trying to aim at that. I I have nowhere near the, the, that same level of precision. Um, at that range, um, and so the enemy has just got absolute hundred percent. Uh, cannot miss accuracy. Cannot miss unless you happen to time. Um, you're dodging perfectly, so you hide behind something as the 
you know, as your projectiles hitting hitting towards you. So there's a bunch of things there uh, that uh, that that really that really dials the uh, difficulty up. There's a magic mushroom that then explodes in a cloud of um, poison, but it can also shrink to a tiny, tiny little thing, and you can't see it. And it runs up behind you. So like, all these things can actually make the game quite interesting, but right now it's dialed up to like crazy levels of difficulty. Um, Sounds like they have a lot of balancing to do, and that there's, there's is quite a, a bit of balance. Early, like an actual early access ass early access game. This is no yeah. server test I mean, in disguise. the The building blocks are there. Like there's some solid bits um, in there already. The aesthetics locked in. Uh, it blows the, my mind. There's no music, though. That just seems. Yeah, the f- there are four character classes that you can pick from, and they all feel quite varied from each other. Um, they all have their own unique abilities and and weapons that that feel quite different from each other. I think the skills need a bit of tweaking because some feel a lot more useful than the others than the other. Uh, so we'll see what the, what happens there. Um, difficulty is dialed up crazy. There is no yeah musical accompaniment, which I feel like is absolutely key to this game. Um, but early stages, pretty do like a good um, uh, PVE team based FPS. I do like that sort of game. Um, I spent hours on Vermintide, lots of time on, on Left 4 Dead. Uh, so, h- decent hopes for this one. Uh, it's actually pretty pricey at the point at this point on Epic Game Store. It's about $45. Oof. It's exclusive yeah. to Epic, isn't it? I think it is at this point because it's built on the... Um, I think it's built on the Unreal Engine. Hmm. So... Um, it's a shame I don't think it's a console the, version because like monitors just still don't frequently have HDR, and I would be all over this game just blowing out the HDR pinks all over the place. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see. I think there's this there's an interesting kernel um, to start with. I think there's quite a bit of polishing that needs to be done between now and when they declare early access is over. Um, would you mind if I asked you a few questions about it all, Ken? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I just um, throughout this talk about Mythforce, we I didn't hear any mention of a narrative or a plot. Is there a narrative? Is it fleshed out from the start, or is it just kind of a menu based? You dive into a level, you dive into a level type thing. Uh, the latter. So you you start the game, and then you just get kicked straight into into a world, and um. At some point, the big bad that you've seen in the trailers turn up and yell some things about you meeting your comeuppance, meeting your comeuppance, and that sort of thing. So I assume that there will be some type of narrative arc at some point. Mm-hmm. Right now, there isn't any. Um, the big bad looks straight out of like looks like Beastman from he um, from He Man. Yeah, right. But with yeah, but um, I'm not sure. Yeah, and the trailer, right the trailer had like quite a bit of banter between the characters. Does is that present in game at least while you're playing? Oh, yeah, equipping with each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's quite a bit of there's quite a bit of banter that's happening. Um, a lot of 
so far most of it has been like very supportive. It's like, oh, I'm really glad you've come along with us, and like, oh, no problem. I'm happy to be on this adventure, and we shall rid the world of evil. It's got that really good guy feel about it. Yeah, right, <laughs> like, like nobody. That just kind of cheesy, like, all in. Yeah, so like, so good, you want to vomit all over your screen. <laughs> like, I guess, like sticking to that eighties cartoon aesthetic, good guys were good and bad guys were bad. <laughs> there's no, yeah. there's no gray. There's no gray. Geez, it'd be great to play a game that did both, though. You know, like to, to play as Cobra in a GI Joe game or something like that. Like, I'd, I probably shouldn't have said GI Joe game. That that recent GI Joe game really is bad. But I want to die. Something like that would be cool. Yeah, Dino Riders would be fantastic. Pl- play as Krulos. I mean, that's the only way you get to use a T-Rex anyway, so it's kind of a win-win. But have it on a large scale, like the Star Wars Battlefront, just Dino Wars. I'm on board for that. Yeah. Um, I, I, I was curious about Myth Force, but I kind of feel lucky that I didn't throw down for it, to be honest. Yeah. Um, yeah. But if there's... I think it's really hard to nail that Saturday morning cartoon feel that they're going for. Um I've played games recently where I feel they don't go far enough with that. I don't know if anyone's played Agent Intercept. No, actually. Um, oh, it, um, I've seen trailers for its um, pickpocket games. Yeah, I, I really like it. And I played it and just enjoyed it. And I had no idea it was a Apple Arcade or a mobile kind of game that I've picked up on Xbox. It just didn't go hammy enough. And I hope mm. that Myth Force kind of... Cause the character designs for me when I watched the trailer for Myth Force were kind of halfway. They weren't anything spectacular, but they weren't awful. But I was like, oh, well, I hope they all have their own identities and, or I don't know if they're, if you unlock armor or upgrades to kind of change your appearance, but it just, they looked kind of, I don't know, nothing spectacular in the, in the way of uh, design. Yeah. I, th- I think, I think what you mean, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to extrapolate from what you're saying there is that, Right now, Myth Force, at least with the character design, looks too designed. All right. Whereas, I mean, because so many 80s cartoons were just like, let's smash these random ideas and, you know. Yeah. Um, and sell toys. The, and sell toys, yeah. And the only reason why there was a giant cat in He-Man was because the designers was like oh He-Man needs a, needs a thing and here's another thing from another toy line that I'm going to use because we can't find anything else like so many cartoons of that era were something were very sinister about a lot of the stuff we grew up with mm. <laughs> but it's like like you know drug fueled desperation to get a pitch moved like there is that like let's just grab everything we can out of the props department smash it together and see what happens. And there is that sort of happy chaos that is just... From an um, era before we had so much market research data that they were just throwing yeah. literally everything against mm. the wall. Yeah, like there is that, that you know, if you've seen the Netflix series, um, the cartoons that made us, like all their stories is just like sto- story after story of people who are um, just grab anything and we'll see what works and it doesn't it doesn't matter whether it makes sense we'll make it make sense like it's mm-hmm. just chaos right and, and i think a lot of the games that's trying to um tap into that tap into that sort of aesthetic 
don't convey that sense of it's mad chaos. Cap, anything goes design. Mad cap. Uh, yeah. So it's so that's that might be why these characters are looking a bit like generic because this is kind of what a character of that era might look like. But it's like no, those characters look that way because somebody stole some shit from art department. <laughs> Yeah, right. So like basically, they need to go to a explaining. toy store and like just try and melt two toys together and then kind of see where they come from. End up with, sorry. Yeah, yeah that, I don't know. that makes sense. There was a was there a character in Masters of the Universe that had snakes for arms? Like, oh, I kind of want something like that. I want to say because like fuck it, why not? There probably was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, I'm gonna. And, and- Yeah, no. it's it's just I, I, like I said, like it's it's worth keeping an eye out on this to see how much more it develops. Um, but it's yeah, it's very early access. Yeah, I guess before we move on, like, I guess the real question is, do you think it's going to be too early access? Because normally, like, you have a chance to grab people's attention, and then it, there are some exceptions. Final Fantasy fourteen is maybe the most famous one where you can fix a broken thing and like pick up again, mm. but. No, um, that's gonna be that's gonna be. Mm, I think, it, I think it will probably turn people off right now um, if Sad. people picked up right now in its current stage in its current state. Probably should have so. just dropped some trailers. That sucks. Because <laughs> this is, I mean, I I don't really play this type of game anymore. But man, it's a game I want to be good. Like, just I look at it, yeah. I'm like, I really hope that game does well. I'm I'm rooting for it. Like I, I'm rooting for it, and it just needs it needs it needs a kicking soundtrack, man. It really, really does. Yeah, I mean, and not it, it's probably a really unfair comparison, but Tiny Tina's Wonderlands just came out, and I know that they're different games, but I think that people that I play games with, if I showed them both of them side they're by side, they kind of just go to Tiny Tina's. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I did. It did cross my mind. Tiny Tina's one. Um, yeah. As I was playing this, I'm like, oh, there is the other one which is supposedly pretty good right now. If this had a soundtrack, yeah. I'd probably lean that way. The lack of a soundtrack is like, oh man, like you're missing like the key element of that cheese. But, um, we are going to bounce on it, bounce on it and keep with this kind of cartoon theme going because I am two weeks later and I've still somehow not finished the 12 hour supposedly game that is Cana Bridge of Spirits um, it is still gorgeous I'm still playing on PS5 weirdly actually some frame rate drops even in the um, 60 frames per second mode which I cut second time this year I feel like I've had to say you need to play it that way this and Ghostwire Tokyo both just feel wrong in the 30 cap. I didn't have that problem with Horizon at all. Um, but I'm probably most of the way through this now. I guess, to recap, the closest example you could have to this would be something like Beyond Good and Evil. Although I never played it, it may also be... It reminds me of what I always imagined that Star Fox Adventures on the GameCube might have been like. So you are kind of like this um, third-person action-ish adventure. You're rescuing a bunch of little guys who then have Pikmin-like abilities and this is kind of growing out um the deeper i've gotten in where you're kind of wandering through this land and like it seems like basically everyone's dead and you're just trying to rescue their spirits being like largely where the name comes from there's kind of like this kind of red gross stuff kind of growing over everything and you're purifying it and then the spirits are going free and la-di-da after heaven or wherever and i did yes ken 
No, you've you've played you were, you played quite a bit of it when we talked about it last. Yeah, I felt like I, like I definitely had my teeth properly in last week. Two weeks yeah, ago. like have you just been continually playing it and there's more stuff, or have you just taken a long break and like, or are you like doing all the bits and pieces? Bit of both. It's, I've been I've been playing it with my partner, and she's been actually playing a lot of it, and. You know, we grew up with video games. She did not grow up with video games. So it's, it's kind of been crazy watching her learn to use the camera stick, frankly. <laughs> um, so, But it also means that she really wants to, like, kind of explore and collect, and she doesn't have the inbuilt understanding of what you can and can't do. Like, the video game language just hasn't been drilled into her the same way it has. So I can, like, look at something and go, look, that's an invisible wall. I know you cannot get up there. But to a person who did not grow up playing video games, that is not always the case. So we have these kind of more extended adventures. She is also more of a completionist, so we're doing a lot more exploring to find um, stuff. Mm. But it does get towards my like mixed feelings where I commented last week that the combat is incredibly simple. And mechanically, it kind of stays that way. Like, you've got your three-hit combo and then you've got the heavy but the heavy never really flows into the three hits so all the pieces are there but it's not a refined combat engine but increasingly what I've been finding is that key points in this game they're having these bosses where it kind of suddenly kind of wants to be a little bit Dark Souls so it's bringing these huge challenges to the fore um, and mechanically break them down to the pieces they're actually sometimes pretty interesting it's just kind of frustrating because the, the flow of the combat which is normally not a problem. This is a very animation priority game. It comes from an animation studio and that makes sense. But when they kind of have these very frenetic fights that come up and there's stuff coming at you from all angles and it doesn't really give you the tools. And it's, and it's this case where you're like watching these ideas that are kind of amazing and not quite have that final lick of polish that like drags it down for me a little bit and can cause quite a bit of frustration. There was... um. One boss at the first half, when you figured it out, it was actually really cool. Like, when they're doing that, you have to figure out when the boss is... You know, there's some dexterity required in the solution, but, you know, there's also a solution. There's this kind of boss that's tethered to a crystal, and at some point you get bombs, and you have to, like, blow up that crystal and shoot the inside of that crystal to detether it, and then you can attack him from there. And then there's another phase from that where there's also something. But the second half of his life bar is just very slow war of attrition. (laughs) With not that great a combat system, and there's another one that if he hits you the wrong way, then immediately takes you down to like one hit kill, and it's like, this is a little bit at odds with what is otherwise a very kind of light, delightful game. That I, you know, like, I can play with somebody who didn't grow up with video games, and it's just got these bits in there where I have to be the person with the controller, and I am still struggling. Which sucks, because I still think it's actually very good overall. Yeah, I've um I've watched Twitch streams of the game because I keep eyeing it off and I think I've wishlisted it on everything and I'll, I'll pick it up on whatever it goes cheaper or whatever. And it, everything I've seen has been really lighthearted and, and definitely engaging where I can find it interesting to watch it, not necessarily being the, the person to play it. And then I have seen one or two kind of really difficult... <laughs> moments which it had to have been a boss now that you mention it but um yeah it's 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 interesting that that's the case and yeah but, but you were saying the studio is an animation studio primarily if i believe so yeah ember lab and I, I guess you should research this a bit more thoroughly but i believe they did start out this is their first game to my knowledge 
Right. It's like, and from that perspective, it's like this is super impressive. I just, I, I will stand by my description from last episode where it's kind of triple A light. Like it doesn't have the bajillion things filling it up. Although it has opened up a little bit more. There is a world map, but it's definitely you go. There are different paths you can don't go down. It is by no means an open world, and there's a general mm. linear progression. But it could be a case of all right, here's your hub world, and you can do three different tasks and you can open that door and go down that way you go down that way go down that way but it will you will still mostly mostly on pass which I appreciate a lot because I've been getting open world fatigue a lot over the last half decade or so but there's there is something nice about like just the kind of simplicity you can do this almost the way like a, like after playing Horizon and some other stuff where you're, like you're just pressing like X all the time just like pick up random herb pick, like there's literally more things you collect in that game and I don't know what most of them do. It's kind of nice that, like, everything you interact with this, you kind of know why you're doing it. And if there's no reason, no easily identifiable reason for the player, then just whatever. It's just set dressing, and that's actually kind of cool. Um, the one twist that I would like to see explored in the future and made fuller is, again, these little black creatures that they call the Rot, which is an interesting name for a cute character. It sounds, it, it sounds like what you should be calling the Curse. It's kind of like taking over the village. These cute little guys, um, they do act a lot of the time like Pikmin that follow you around. Or you remember that game, Overlord? I was just going to say, you're describing a wholesome version of Overlord. And you use them maybe less than you do the minions in Overlord. But, like, they can some... They are assistant in combat. You can kind of say you... How do I describe this? You basically... Once you get some hits in, you kind of build up a gauge and you can use them. And they will, like, kind of bother the person you're fighting depending on how it goes. Although sometimes it might be, a again, if it's a boss, there might be a reason why they cannot help you out so much. And they can occasionally, like, drag things around the environment for you. But it's all, like, typically very, like, move this statue here and then this chest will open. Like, So it was, like, it seems like potential where, like, if you could just make something deep with that, it would be, like, really interesting. But they're definitely onto something. And I really hope the studio be it a sequel prequel to this or just something else I really hope these guys make another game and take what they have learned because this is like a 7 or 8 out of 10 it's not a 10 out of 10 experience but it's a kind of unique and charming one of those and like if it looks like something it's up your alley I have to put the catch out there that like the combat is interesting but too simple for its own good with what it's trying to do but if you're willing to like just know that there's going to be a point where you're going to be like during a couple of fights um it's definitely worth the time like if it looks like your thing and you're just aware that there's a couple of big difficulty spikes there and again like I think it's even on sale on the PlayStation Network at the moment it might be only like 30 bucks it's definitely worth that definitely can't I can't I just can't get the idea out of my head though um a lot of these studios don't get a chance to blossom fully. They just kind of get bought out by someone. And I really hope that they do make their own separate game and people don't just acquire them and make them work on something established. Yeah. Or if they just kind of get benevolent, benevolently bored and told, all right, we just want you to make stuff for us, but that cannot mm. last forever. It seems like Microsoft's mm. doing that right now, but you're always like, at some point, at some point you're going to end up making Halo maps. <laughs> But speaking of which, you know what? Nah, I don't think... With the Xbox? You know what? We'll decide. I'm going to take a short break. When we come back, we will decide. Does the original Xbox count as a console 
contempt will still speak English, count as a console that we've kind of forgotten a little bit. I've said it before and it's gonna remain true forever which is I basically grew up a Sega kid um, and that means that as far as the history of my first console have gone kind of been left a little bit in the shadows like if history is written by the victor then Nintendo was definitely the overall victor there Sega is still around but it kind of like lost its focus lost its creative spark and it just definitely feels like if you get these nostalgic greatest games of this era, they always can tend to skew in one direction. And maybe that's fair, and maybe it's not, but I figured, you know what, let's let's take a show to talk about the hardware that was and is kind of not like not so super obscure that there are only five things ever created in Japan or whatever. I'm not talking about the sixty four DD or whatever. But the the consoles that kind of fell between the cracks in our memories a little bit. Um, and I'm going to be mean this time and make Ken go first, because you mentioned Neo Geo Pocket Color to me a couple of weeks ago, and that's kind of what spurred this whole thing on. And I mentioned that I'd always kind of wanted one, but I've never even played one. Ken, have you actually played a Neo Geo Pocket Color? I've never actually held a Neo Geo Pocket. I've Damn! Seen it. <laughs> We're all... I, I've seen it with my sort of my nose pressed up against the glass at the local game shop, and and just imagining what playing King of Fighters would look like or feel like on a Neo Geo Pocket. Um, but I might actually go with um, another console that I've also never played with, but I'm, I was absolutely fascinated by, was the 3DO. Um, oh, that this thing was, was just a legend. It was just the stories that existed in my school. Oh, it's... Yeah, it was. it was both going to be the thing that revolutionized the entire gaming industry, but it also came at a really weird and strange tra- transition point in consoles because it was, it was post 16-bit, but pre-PlayStation. And everybody was trying to try to figure out. I think, you know, we, in the in our chat on Discord, we've punched in a couple of names here. I think there's quite a few games that sort of sit in this weird spot. Atari, the Atari Jaguar, uh, the 3DI, the 3DO, the huh? Sega 32, the Sega 32X was like an attempt to find pe- your feet. You know, by, by, yeah, trying pe- so many console companies trying to find their feet in this transitionary period, and the 3DO was this idea that it was both Panasonic, but it was also a bunch of other companies as well. Mm, it's basically. Um, it wasn't a DVD player. That didn't, it was like a VCR that also had gaming abilities and it was technically a licensable it gaming was a, board. 
yeah, it was a, effectively a license, licensable gaming chipset that you then attached into a DVD player that multiple manufacturers could sell under that brand of a 3DO. So you'd have your Panasonic 3DO, but the other brands making their versions of a 3DO, you would have a common chipset. Um, for the game part, but then you can have a DVD player in there as well, or or just a dedicated game machine, or it could be a set-top box as well. I think there was one which was a DVD player, the 3DO plus you plug in your your antenna into so you can watch TV through it. So it's one of those weird things. Um, and this was, I think, in my mind, one of the first attempts at trying to do create that, that whole like one console like pipe dream of the future <laughs> where you have doesn't, still doesn't sound like that clearly it didn't work out but it no. doesn't sound that stupid like it really no it doesn't sound stupid <laughs> it, it, it was actually a really clever idea I mean if you think about it if you think about effectively what they were trying to do is what happens with Blu-ray and um, HD um, HD DVD like there is a license, licensable like format that everybody agrees to use, and every company comes up with their sort of version of it. But there is a base level format that everybody adheres to, so that it's compatible across multiple things. So you've got a game that you could buy, and that three D O game would work on your Panasonic 3DO and your other 3DO and all the other 3DOs and different companies come out and make their own versions of it. it like, it does not sound like a dumb idea at all. Um, the, the, I've never heard of, like, they true had a, standout games for it, though. Like, I think Need for Speed came out the first, but... Yeah. There's a really weird sort of Zelda animated anima- animated adventure game. Um, because it was also in that transitionary period, there was a whole bunch of um, FMV games. Um, there was something called, and I was fascinated by it. It was something called Crazy Ivan. Um, oh uh, yeah, mech- I've heard of Crazy Ivan. Actually, <laughs> that got ported to different consoles. Yeah, it was apparently pretty good as well. Like it was a decent, solid game. Um, and that was one I was I was obsessed about. And this was like what mid nineties, and the three D O was expensive. I think one of the things that killed it was was how expensive it was. It was eight nine hundred dollars, I think. I'm actually curious about this now. This was the cost of it back in Singapore. Um, yeah, we need an Australian price, but yeah. So I will go and Google what the launch price was. Whilst somebody like, else talks, yes. I was going to say, did you ever get your hands on um, <clears throat> on Crazy Ivan? No, unfortunately, it had that it, weird cutscenes between every level thing. Yeah, yeah. And Ivan was always in, I think, a mech or a tank or something. But yeah. I still remember because I thought it was funny and it was probably cringe and bad as as hell. But I still remember he has to go on a mission, I think, to America, and he thinks he's going to save Mickey Mouse. And he says, hold on, Mickey, I'm coming. And it then sounds like a trippy-ass game. It was, it was just that kind of, like, Command and Conquer kind of embraced, let's get ridiculous with cutscene actors. It was that kind of thing. Crazy Ivan had it all through it. And then I enjoyed it. I think um, there was another game around the same time called 
uh, Shell Shocked. It was a tank game, and that was really cool. And it had the same sort of thing, just brief cutscenes dropping into the same kind of 3D levels. I mean, I've never actually played a 3D. Like I mentioned, it was this thing that a couple of kids at school would like mention was like the real hot shit. Like, forget the Mega Drive, forget the SNES, forget the Mega CD, whatever. This was like yeah, the this was power station. This mm. was the look. This was launched in 1993, and its sale, its um, introductory price was 700 US dollars in 1993. Wow. So yeah, basically, double that for today. Then, <laughs> I guess. But there, there were a lot of its games got ported. So it, it must have done where well, at least made an impact because the, a lot of its games ended up ported over to PlayStation or Sega Saturn. Because I know that Army Men was a 3DO game. It was. Did, or did they get ported to try and like recoup the potential? Maybe. Like, I think like Zool, Need for Speed. Zool was, did that, didn't it? <laughs> well, the one that sticks with me is like Gex. Like that is a weird idea to make yes. Iguana or whatever a platformer, and then they actually made what turned out to be a pretty good for the time 3D platform on the PlayStation. It has also since been completely forgotten. In the form of what? We're still saying we're still sort of talking Gex. Yeah, yeah. It, my my dad got me Gex, and I remember getting none of the references he made because <laughs> he was referencing. Um, like movies constantly and TV place. shows and yeah. It, it, yeah he was referencing like um, Fantasy Island and TV shows that were way too old for me to not understand at the time and I I just enjoyed the platforming no, I wonder how that game has aged but yeah I, I would say that the PlayStation 1 was definitely successful enough that it's not really relevant here mm. um, I am going to like delve into my own little indulgence here was I like I grew up with a fucking Sega Master System and that was what I had for like the first three, four gaming years of my life. And and it's been like super weird watching. And I don't know, perhaps rightly, I wasn't playing the other stuff very much. You know, I had what I had and being, I guess it even changes regionally, but like PAL territories, the master system actually did pretty well. It just tanked in America and didn't even really exist as a master system. I don't think in Japan. Um, so, you know, I played Sonic the Hedgehog, the master system version. And then like occasionally it was in like a Toys R Us or a Toys R Us. You know, Toys R Us are World for Kids and like gawking at the Mega Drive version like occasionally. Like Sonic 2 Master System is this own weird almost trippy kind of thing with like kind of an amazing soundtrack. Oh yeah. But I have like so many memories of like that specific console and like none of those games ever come up. Like meanwhile like Mario 3, Zelda, Metroid, Castlevania, like all this shit from the um Nintendo is there and it's strange because and I guess it's possibly our better games. It's like the Master System was definitely more powerful. It was not a 16-bit machine by a long shot, but man, those games looked like they looked like they could use the colors that they want. They looked very restricted, but they always looked like they could use the colors that they wanted to use within the limitations that they had. Whereas I would go to a friend's house where I'd announce and be like, "The colors look wrong." A lot of time, but I mean, I had stuff like that. Like um, this game called Penguin Land, which is like just trying to like drop this egg without breaking it. And these kind of like down-scrolling platform levels. Alex Kidd in Miracle World, friggin' hell, man. I'm potentially going to end up buying Lost Judgment just so I can play the Master System version in the office in that game. Um, it's um, it's interesting to see the kind of mixed response to the Master System. Uh, I was a Master System house. We were well aware of the NES. Our friends had a NES. And there were some cool games on the NES. I remember... Um, 
being super into a boy and his blob on the NES, which was, it was like a platformer, but it had puzzle kind of moments to it. It got really nicely remade of, I want to say a few years ago, but it could have been a decade ago now, like time again. Well, there was a version on the Wii, but you can get the digital version on the PS4 as well, which I think is the PS3 version. I'm not too sure. But um, yeah, we were a Master System house and there were some fantastic games, but it's, it's almost like, you know, like... Retro gaming has almost kind of... People have different memories of it. Mm. And the people that are, like, chucking together these compilations every few years, like, here's the Capcom collection, and you really want your favorite game to be in there, and it's not. It's almost like that Wonder Woman 84 where everyone's like, hey, I remember the 80s. It was this and it was that. But they're missing the parts that you loved about it. And that's how I feel whenever I see a re-release of a Sonic the Hedgehog collection. All I want is Game Ground or Dragon Force or... Well, the Master System versions, like actually. Like, I understand the Mega Drive ones are better. But my God, would it kill them to put Sonic 2 Master System out, like, without me having to download some ROM from a dodgy website? Yeah, it, we, it's got... Uh, was it... There was a Sonic 2 on the Master System yeah, as well. It came yeah, out before the Mega Drive or? one, technically. Yeah, the second stage. Yeah. Um, Sky High Zone, appropriately called that. Like, it had some kind of crazy fun little stuff in there, and, like, that's where the theme song from um, Sonic CD came from. It had a really good version of um, Castle of Illusions starring Mickey Mouse. That was the one I played, I believe. Like, a really good version. Um, God, I played a lot of Fantasy Zone on that. I never got past, like, the second stage because I freaking sucked at it. I think, in fact, in general, a lot of the Disney stuff that came out for it was um, incredibly solid. Um, I had a Mm -hmm. mixed relationship with California Games... But during those special treat times during the summer holidays where you, my brother and I would both have a friend to come around sleep, sleep over, that was the thing that we stayed up with until the ripe eight, late hour of probably 10 o'clock um, yep. with, you know, a can of Fanta each and a big-ass bag of chips playing. That's kind of like yeah, where... Cal- California Games was kind of It was on everything, difficult. though, as well. Yes. I think it was on the links. I think it was on the links. Links, there you go. Nice segue. Yeah. Yes. I I can't believe the one time I saw a Lynx was in primary school. A kid brought it for show and tell. Awesome pick for show and tell. Um, and yeah, he had all sorts of games on it. And it, it fascinated me because I had a Game Gear and I wanted a Lynx. Like I, I, I had the Game Gear. I love the Game Gear. We only played with it plugged in though because the battery the was awful. The batteries died. Yeah. yeah so died. we always played plugged in. But the links looked really interesting, and it had enough going for it. But I never, I never got my hands on one. Yeah, same. Um, the thing I always wanted to play on the links was, I think, it was Red Baron. Um, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Weirdly, was, game uh, reference. A- I think in Hey Dad of all fucking things for me to randomly remember. I never even realized but- I had memories of Hey Dad. This is like now the most Australian episode of this show. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I was just fascinated with the links as well. Um, because you could also play, was it both left-hand and right-handed? I think it may have been flippable. I don't, I, I, I just remember it was, like it was big and I played California games in that as well. Everybody was playing California games on something, it seemed. Did it have any, was there anything stand out about the hardware of it? Did, do you know what I mean? Like, did it really put the game gear to, to task or anything or was it just kind of I always still wanted a game gear more but it, I, you know I was also once I decided on a master system I'd just 
console wars in you know the nineties are even worse than they are now. Mm-hmm. So I kind of married my side, and then very later on, very meekly bought a Game Boy. <laughs> but yeah, it was. <laughs> in fact, like the colors and that thing again, it worked. It was like kind of crazy how much more capable it was in the Game Boy. Yeah, there was some real depth to it. Uh, the Batman game in particular, it was so impressive that it was a portable version uh, of the game. And there was some real depths, like there was multiple blacks and blues and things like that. It, it was better than I had any right to be. Yeah, actually, I think you're right. I think the the way the buttons were laid out was like they kind of went up and like they went down. So it didn't really matter which way you're holding. I can kind of picture it in my head, but not really. And that system is like now yeah. so old that before I left Australia, so at the end of uni, I remember like my local game store having one and being going, "Oh wow, that's a blast in the past." And I'm saying that, I, and I was saying that in the PS2 peak era. <laughs> I um, we couldn't meet at a price, but when I worked at Cash Converters as a buyer, a guy came in with the Sega SG, whatever it is, the the Nomad, the portable. It was like a, a Sega computer. It's about SG something. And I, mean, I don't even know if it came out over here. I had something, and I... Actually, I didn't Google it before the show. I should have. I, every few years, I try and figure out what it is. I had something. The box at least said... I think my father had something to occasionally let us use when I was like four. The box at least said, John Sands Sega. I still don't know what it was. It played games off cassette. I remember playing this game where you ran a ice cream stand. And you That's looked amazing. at the, and it was menu based, and you just kind of just looked at the weather and decided what flavor and how much you were making and what you wanted to sell. I um I don't want to get just us stuck in the quicksand that is being Sega kids, but did you ever get your hands on the sound enhancement chip that they had, the FM chip or whatever it was? No, and I'd almost completely forgotten it existed. I this is so super nerdy of me, but it's the Player Two podcast. It's fine. I watch videos of people playing games that I had with the sound enhancer. Just, I just need to know. Um, Goal well, Velius was a game that was big with me, and it sounds like a little mini orchestra when you play it with that sound enhancer. It Sound chips during that era are weird. I had a moment a few years ago, like a couple of years before COVID hit in Denden Town, walking down Osaka, where they just had Sonic the Hedgehog hooked, hooked up in Mega Drive, and I was like, Jesus that sounds amazing. And then I went down this whole research hole, hole and like, the sound chip that's in Mega Drives over time decreased a lot in quality. Like, if you get, like, a launch Mega Drive, it just sounds wow. way better than even, like, a later Mega Drive and certainly much better than a Mega Drive 2. That sounds counter to what they would want you to think because I won... Because I remember there was the headphone port on the, on the console ones, and I yeah. won some Golden Axe 2 headphones in a competition... Uh, through uh, Sega and um, yeah I played Golden Axe 2 with it and I remember everything sounding so crisp and so much depth and but it's probably not as good as the early ones the early ones sound like it was I was just like why am I like I know the Sonic the Hedgehog first level music very well why does this sound so much better and I kind of went down this Google rabbit hole I, it kind of makes sense like there's this whole thing with like again early PC games if we're going to like talk pre-Windows 95 where like your sound chip actually there's still a big difference now I just I guess we hit a point of like good enough but like you had like what a Roland 32 or something like there were huge differences between like MIDI yeah. quality if you like invested in like the right soundboard yeah well I think the um 
the early days of the Genesis and Mega Drive was all a Yamaha Sid 16 chip or something like that because I've got a 1980-something keyboard over there on my instrument stand with the same chip, and I, I bought it because it's got that... The instruments, the midis don't sound like the instruments. They sound like something else. They just sound like a video game. So it's it's fun. It's better in my mind than if they were more accurate. Yeah, it's... But, um, yeah, it's it's super weird to me though because I think the SNES was like really consistent, and you could maybe yeah, make absolutely. an argument overall that it probably did technically have the superior Sonic chops. But boy, if you like actually have the right Mega Drive next to it, it holds its own a it's, lot better. It's weird because in terms of some of my favorite gaming soundtracks, they're usually on the Mega Drive. But in terms of being impressed by compressed audio or sampling or whatever the SNES did. Some of the choirs that you hear in, in a Squaresoft game back in the day are just... Crazy. It's hard to believe they did it. It was hard to believe you hearing it at the time, but again, um, if we're talking about the Super NES and we're clearly off topic because... <laughs> that thing, even the Mega Drive actually did just fine. Uh, when they want to ask, can you, you wrote PC Engine and... PC Engine and mentioned CDI. Have you actually touched either of those ones? Again, no. Like so, so much of my childhood was spent like staring at consoles. Um, and you know, I, I where where I grew up, um, in, in Singapore, you 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 would have all these game shops that just imported everything. So you would you would see Lynx and Game Gear and PC Engine and 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 all of these things just sitting there, and I would just stare at them, um, and just hoping that at some point I could actually afford them because I actually didn't get a console until uh either the GameCube or the first Xbox. I can't actually remember my actual proper home console. Like, it was PC and Game Boy prior to that. Um, but yeah, I would spend so much of my time looking at, um, and I've said this, I've said this story to, to you before. Um, mm. like game shops in Singapore, you You'd could pay, pay like a couple of bucks when you, and then like just play. Yeah. You, you pay, you pay the shop like $3 or three fifty, and they will let you play for half an hour on, on your console of choice. Um, wow. <laughs> it's better than an arcade, so you just sort of sat there. Yeah, that's I would, awesome. I would sit there for I would sit there for hours, like after school, and just save up all my pocket money and pay it to the game shop and and play. That's how I played the Super Nintendo, the um, uh, the you know Sega Saturn, all of that stuff. PlayStation, PlayStation, Actually, and Sega Saturn. Were I want to say dollars. let's 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 zone in on what you played in the Saturn a bit because I'm like touch and go here, but I feel like the Saturn has. It's it's come back to my mind as like a failed darling recently when I just saw a tweet by the guy from um, Digital Foundry who does all the retro stuff saying that that was actually his favorite system of that cycle. So if I talk about the Saturn, you know what I'm going to talk about. But Ken, do you actually have anything from that system that stood out to you? One thing I never played, but I was absolutely, you know, I watched other people play was Dragon Force. Oh, I'm a Dragon Force addict. Oh, it just looked like a fantastic, fantastic game. Um, and I would just, like, yeah, sit behind somebody and and 
just watch over their shoulder as they played Dragon Force. Um, Panzer Dragoon was 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 there as well, but no, Dragon Force. I, wait, was Panzer Dragoon? I think it was. But yeah, yeah, Dragon the original Force was. Panzer and Zoey was really good. And I thought, I think what I what I generally played on this Saturn was the Virtual Fighter Two. Very good port. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Virtual Fighter. Um they need to be they need to bring Virtual Fighter back, man. Yeah, they well, do. They're sort of trying. They're dipping their toes in the water with the free to play or whatever it was on PS five. We need a proper Virtual Fighter six. <laughs> yeah. But you just reminded me that um like I think just the lack of success on the Saturn has kinda of, like buried some of this like the Panzer Dragoon RPG. Um, one of the few games that I actually just ended up going fuck it and like playing a pirated copy of because even you know in the early two thousands the second hand market was already out of control there. That game is really good, but nobody's played it, so it's never going to end up on any of these top ten lists because even the people who were like employed full time at Polygon and IGN probably didn't actually get a proper chance to play it. Yeah. Was that the one that had a full, a massive narrative and spanned multiple discs? Yeah, it was like a three or four disc game. It was something crazy where I think Sega Saturn Magazine and the U... I want to say Europe or the UK actually had the entire first disc as like a cover mount. But then ran into the problem where like they just don't think they printed that many copies of the game to begin with. And so it was a very early example of something that became more... It was something you bought as a collector's item than something you bought to play. And that whole generation is just not aged particularly well at all, so. I don't know if that game's ever really going to get us. Dude, that game was really... Burning Rangers as well. Really cool. Did the Saturn have decent, um, like, Western developed and, and whatever games? Because I remember playing... Something like it was called Three Dirty Dwarves or something, and it yeah, was Dwarves in Modern Times, Streets of Rage kind of brawler. I don't know if it was an American game or whatever, but it I just remember it being a, so yeah, probably. There was a massive divide for me anyway in what I wanted to play, but what when I did get into something, I mean, um, it was like Dragon Force, which became does not look just something at all. No. But yeah, for me, I don't know, the standout games on the Saturn were the Japanese ones that managed to get released uh, where I was, even though hmm. yeah, it, it didn't always happen. But um, Dragon Force was, and is still now, incredible and, and very replayable for me. Yeah, I mean, the whole... I mean, the Saturn, like Ken mentioned the 32X earlier, it's just thing like Sega of America and Sega of Japan just could not agree on anything. And it was like this house kind of divided and like this... Like the Saturn was like a slapdash kind of messy piece of hardware. I think it was technically very powerful, but like impossible to like properly use or like incredibly difficult to properly use. Um, it yeah. was stuff like um, Tomb Raider was originally a Saturn game. And, yep. that, but, and now it's just like as associated as like a PlayStation brand, I believe earlier this year. I forgot who was playing it. I remember reading, but, you yeah. know, reports in Electronic Games Monthly back in the day of developers complaining about, you know, oh, we're trying to make this for the Saturn as well as the PlayStation, and the PlayStation has been so much easier to write for. And I remember the Tomb Raider team talking about it Hmm. and a port of a first-person shooter called... I think it was called Power Slave on PC, but called Exhumed. 
exhumed. I think it was a Western and Japanese, sorry, Jap- not Jap- American and European thing. Because that got re-released yeah, um, recently. earlier this year. But it does turn out like the Saturn version of that is apparently the version. Like it's actually best on Saturn. That's wild. Until now. So there are like a few ones like that. And it's also just like it's unfortunate. I want to say unfortunate like it was a 2D powerhouse. But it's not like Sega did not know which way interest was flowing. Like, they advertised the shit out of those 3D bonus stages in Sonic the Hedgehog. All of their arcade stuff was going hard on the 3D. So I don't really know what they were thinking with think- with the idea of we're going to, like, have 3D as, like, an afterthought, almost. Well, we're... Because uh, my memory of what consoles we were all looking forward to is a little hazy, but the 32X almost feels like a knee-jerk we've got to make sure that the Mega Drive, the Genesis, is still relevant for a little while while this thing is coming out. Was the Saturn kind of in response to anything quickly? Was it PlayStation was announced and Uh, they're like, oh, we've got to get something happening? I'd have to go research the thing. But I mean, the whole, I think, 32X and even to a degree Mega CD and Saturn was like, they just, the resources were kind of like split and like unfocused. But the Saturn was apparently built mostly as like a 2D powerhouse. And then they kind of saw Uh, what the PlayStation was doing and panicked and like kind of shoved in this extra processor or, or I'm simplifying this or whatever, which gave it more 3D ability, but also made it more difficult to program for. Yeah. I remember, I remember the, the discussion then, like the uninformed adolescent that I was like, Oh, Sega Saturn's where you go for like the 2D stuff. PlayStation's where you go for the 3D stuff. But, um, yeah, that makes sense. There are I remember exceptions, but yeah, that is kind of literally how it played out. Generalization. Yeah, and I I think it was I was watching these comparison videos of Castlevania Symphony of the Night where the Saturn had an anime-style intro or something that played and PlayStation didn't, and I think Rayman as well had something extra in the Saturn version or it handled it better, or I can't remember, but that I was the consensus anyway. that Rayman would have played better. I think any video of the PlayStation was definitely better handling video than the Saturn was. Um... But I guess before we wrap this up, I kind of want to swing back around to my Master System again. I'm so happy this has become so heavily Sega-focused. Because I completely <laughs> forgot to uh, mention, like, how freaking good, like, Wonder Boy 3 was. And that series has kind of gotten its due a little bit. Like, it's always going to be a little under the radar, but, like, those have had some, like, really nice reworkings recently. Yes, I have all of them. Um, Wonder Boy is one of my favorite series, and I still go through. But I've only finished Monster Land because it was on the Switch with date saving and I just had to make sure I had the, all the legendary gear before I went to the Dragon. Mm. But well, um, I remember like being hesitant with the whole Monster Boy idea during my Master System owning time. Because that first game was just a kid in his underwear throwing hammers. Yeah, it's quite, <laughs> a, quite the evolution it made. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also, yeah, the Donald Duck games. There was a, actually, I don't know if it's good or not, but I remember it being really good. Like, there's an asterisk game Asterix game that I actually really liked and it was like a couple of years later playing it on a friend's game gear because I guess I got a really cheap ass one and then there was literally a Master System player for the game gear Sega made some crazy ass shit yeah Um, and I remember there's this part in like this Egypt themed level that I couldn't get past but then I was playing it again a couple years later and I forgot which bit I couldn't get past and because I couldn't remember what it was, I just got past there without realizing it and finished the game for the first time. 
Um, and of course, I didn't never play this at the time, but Fantasy Star must have been a huge deal. And it's kind of sad to me that that just died. Or, you know, became the kind of... It's, Fantasy Star Online Fantasy still Star exists. Online's great, but it's it's definitely... It should have been a standalone series on its own and kept going. And like we, Well, I mean, you could argue that Skies of Arcadia was like a spiritual follow-up, but man... Where, it's what? like the Shining series as well, where I would mm. kill for it to be a tactical oh, RPG instead yeah. of just JRPG. <laughs> now, now we've now we've entered the uh, the territory of old old ass games that we wish would come back. Yeah, well, I mean, Shining Force Two is on the the Switch Online's um, you know emulation mm. thing they've got going. I guess it's kind of a logical road, though, because if we're talking about stuff that, like, most people forgot, then, like, everything has gone back, come back at this point, except for this. Um, I... No, it's okay. I just want to talk about Landstalker one day. Can we book that in? <laughs> you know what? Let's wrap this thing up. If you want to talk about Landstalker, go right ahead right now. I just... the We talk about, you know, games we wish we came back. Landstalker almost did come back. I don't know if anyone's seen there is... Footage of someone with a mobile phone at a convention where there was a Landstalker playing on the PSP and it was being made in 3D, but all they had was kind of cinematic camera angles flying through the game. But it was it was damn near close that we were getting Landstalker on the PSP and I'm heartbroken it didn't happen. It didn't happen. It's weird because that was a Mega Drive game, but man, it's, yeah, there's a lot of stuff there that like had this crazy reputation and then like, Sega just, just like let has so much IP that it's just died. I get why. They've, they're really, really put all their kind of everything into Sonic the Hedgehog because even I got excited for Seeger and All-Stars Racing and then it just became Sonic Racing. So I get why they're doing it. It's just a bummer at the same time. It's been like that for a very long time. Though, anyway, um, Ken, do you have any last nose pressed up against the shop window? Stuff you would um... like to... Yeah, just the final one is um, I've always wanted a Virtual Boy. Um, there it is. I saw I saw one in Hong Kong, and I asked the shopkeeper whether they were selling it. They're like, no, that's their personal. That's oh, their damn. personal. I'm like, that's the one. They're not going to let it go, no matter the price. And then um, I also saw one at Super Potato in Tokyo. I have a friend who's um, bought one. I don't know if he still has it. Um, yeah, I think they. <laughs> I don't think it's very good. I'm gonna put it out. No, it's not very good. I don't think. <laughs> and and I'm not sure if I want to actually play the thing, but you know, it's just one of those. Um, it's it's my unicorn. Yeah, it's this weird blip in Nintendo. And the thing is, like, because it's like Nintendo, like it failed so hard that you actually do. It's not even just like, oh, we kind of look at it. Like people do forget it. And I don't think there's any redeeming game on that thing at all. No, there's there's nothing good on it. Maybe Mario Tennis um, apparently is good, um, but it's one of those like it's failed so hard that actually having one is becoming, uh, has, in my mind, is kind of a novelty. Yeah, so it's like different discussions, but I also feel like it failed so hard that it wasn't able to do the brand any damage. Whereas yep. <laughs> a lot of the stuff that Sega put out, like in that kind of transition between Mega Drive to Saturn era was successfully enough that people saw it falling over, whereas the Virtual Boy kind of just fell down a hole the second it went after the starting line. And, you know, nobody outside of people who would listen to a show like this even know what the hell that is. Feel that being a Sega 
fanboy way back in the day during that console war, I kind of became immune to the criticisms of it. And then when you look back at how many games the the CD had and the 32X had, it's really obvious they didn't do well. But back then I was like, oh, yeah, okay, there's like Batman's re-released on it and it looks good. And But yeah, it, it, they, it's obvious looking back at it how they did not do well. No, they did not. But you were like, it has CD. That was all you needed for your argument. Yeah. CD audio. And eventually got one like when like I think Big W was just like, fire sailing them in at Christmas the PlayStation was already out it's like I was my parents were not going to buy me a PlayStation but they were selling for like 80 bucks with four games or something it's like yeah got it with NBA Jam we already had NBA Jam on cartridge great game took like two minutes to load on CD but we swore by it because the sound effects was like so much beefier probably some extra recorded commentary too yeah had to have been except they had my favourite player at the time um, Anthony Penny Hardaway like I swapped him out for Scott Skiles and Orlando Magic and maybe two people listening to this episode know what I'm talking about here but he was very <laughs> tall for a point guard I think he's like LeBron James even modeled his game after his one but they didn't upgrade the statistics so Scott Skiles was like basically built like me he's like this short white guy he was very good at assists and he's probably a decent playmaker but he was not athletic but so you, then you've got this huge guy who should be dunking over everyone and they forgot to change the stats so he played like this tiny little white guy oh no he couldn't dunk for shit. He's like one of the that three is... biggest superstars in the NBA and he can't dunk in the game. That is oh. really, really bad. It's very sad for me. Anyway, on that on that note, I somehow made this about basketball. Nick, thank you, mu- thank you very much for coming and joining us. Is there anything you would like to pimp, including articles, YouTube channel, Twitter handle? Uh, you can find me everywhere if you just search for Nick Bait. Um... It's easy enough to find. I do all sorts of stuff and I take too long doing everything. But thank you so much for having me. I will be sure to get some more stuff done for Player 2 as well. Because I like everyone at Player 2. There's Everyone is a honest and passionate person. And that's awesome to uh, be able to say that about everyone on Player 2. In their own in their own ways. Yes. Um, in, their own ways. <laughs> in our own ways. <laughs> Ken, have you got anything coming up? Uh, nothing at the moment. Um, hopefully, hopefully soon, but nothing at the moment. But you can find me at Pixel Hunt on the Twitters. Pixel Hunt, that name reminded me of my 20s. The sweet, sweet 20s. Um, mm. yeah, as for myself, I, yeah, I don't actually have anything major coming up anymore. Either, so yeah, I am at Pretendbeard on the Twitters. That's about it. I am now going to sit there and moan about how we should have a Master System Mini like we got a pretty good Mega Drive one and it's never gonna happen but I would eat that shit up but me yeah. not enough other people oh I would buy that thing in a heartbeat yeah even the um just the Game Gear Minis that came out even just as a novelty they were kind of cool but... 